just one verse this morning. Hear the words of our God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we are so thankful that we get to gather this morning as your people, as people who have been bought with the blood of your Son, and we worship you, and we revel in your love that you have shown us in Christ Jesus, in his death, and in his resurrection. And oh, Father, we, we sing with the psalmist, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And yes, Lord, we say, bless the Lord. Father, as we think about love this morning and the love that you have shown us and the love that you've shed abroad in our hearts through your spirit, we ask that you would teach us this morning about love and that you would work in us to make us wise and able practitioners of love, that we would grow in love and that we would be a people who show abundant love to each other. So Father, we need your help this morning. Clear away all the distractions from our minds, overcome the hardness of our hearts and callousness, and may your word be fresh upon us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we took a big chunk from 1 John chapter 4, and this week we're just going to take a little chunk, and one shot at love is not enough, so we'll take two shots at love. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And love, according to the Apostle Paul, is the, the chief virtue of the Christian life. It is this taproot that goes down deep into the soil and provides life and support for the entire tree. And if the taproot is healthy and it's working properly, that tree is going to flourish and grow. However, if that taproot is unhealthy, if it's bad, if it's diseased, if it isn't working properly, then what becomes of that tree? Well, it's going to decay and it's going to die And Paul reasons this way in 1 Corinthians 13. He speaks of the supremacy of love. He says, If I speak in tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains but have not love, I am nothing." If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. 
And the force of Paul's words here in 1 Corinthians 13 can be lost on us. We're familiar with this love chapter. We hear it in weddings. But Paul's argument is jarring and it's powerful when we slow down and when we consider his words. One can have the, the greatest and most prestigious gifts, preaching, prayer, charismatic gifts, knowledge. One can have the greatest works in your resume. Paul says, give away all that he has, even to give away his life in martyrdom, even works of faith. One can be known for these things and praised for these things, but according to Paul, if these are not connected to the healthy taproot of love, they are but nothing. If they don't flow from or motivated by love, well, they're of no consequence. And Paul goes on to show in 1 Corinthians 13 that this taproot of love produces the most practical fruit. Love cannot remain a definition. It cannot remain a doctrine on the page or in our heads. But at its core, love must be practiced. Love must be experienced. Love must be actualized in our midst. And Paul says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so what must we do then with love? Well, Paul tells us what we must do with love. After this long exploration of love in chapter 13, Paul begins chapter 14 in the book of Corinthians with these words, pursue love. Pursue love. And what important and poignant words by Paul. He calls us to cast our attention upon one thing and then give chase after that one thing with our whole being. What Paul is saying is if we are to succeed as Christians, if we are to stand, if our works are to stand in the great day of judgment, if we want to amount to anything in the sight of God, we must be a people given over to love. It must control every part of our existence. We can even go back all the way to the Old Testament, going back to the words of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6. What does he instruct Israel? He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Jonathan Edwards, in his book, Charity and Its Fruits, underscores this point. He says, God is seeking your love, and you are under unspeakable obligation to render it. And so last Sunday, we heard and we felt the demand of love. 1 John 4, 7, what we read this morning. Beloved, let us love one another. And we heard of love's universal demand. Wherever we go, Whoever we're with, whatever we're doing, love makes its claim and demand upon us. And with this great weight upon our shoulders, we heard John's reassuring and beautiful words to us. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. We are commanded to love. We have this demand of love placed upon us. And John comes to us and says, you can actually do this. You can actually flourish in this task of love. Why? 
Because the God who is love has drawn near to us. He has made his love known in Christ Jesus. He has rescued us from sin in the Son. He has placed his spirit within us to work out love in us. And so we can say with certainty, we can flourish in this task. We can actually do it as God's people, as God's beloved. The triune God guarantees it, and the triune God works for us in it. But in light of all of this, we have to admit that there was a a glaring deficiency in last week's sermon. And that deficiency is that we have not fully explored what it means for us as God's people to be practitioners of love. God has given us and continues to give us as his people all that we need to go and do this task. Now we need to focus on the, the practice of it. And we can just illustrate this quickly and simply. It's one thing to have a garage full of tools, but it's another thing to be able to use those tools for wise and good and useful ends. One can have the most beautiful, the most expensive tools in your garage, but if those tools aren't coupled with the ability, the knowledge, the skill to actually use them, those tools are really useless. For the tools to be useful, they must be used skillfully. And we can say the same thing about love. We can get all of our definitions about love correct. We can go to Jonathan Edwards and we can study his book and his definitions. We can burn them into our brains about what love is vertically and horizontally. We can go to 1 John chapter 4 and we can read John's words and meditate on them. But if these realities of love do not give birth to real action and usefulness in our lives... We're just like that man, that man who has all of these beautiful tools, these new tools in his garage, but he doesn't know how to use them. So the plan for this morning is to take up the oughts and the shoulds and the lets in the book of 1 John and work to make some applications to ourselves so we can be practitioners of love. So our aim this morning is to fulfill Paul's mandate in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, pursue love. So in this pursuit of love, these oughts and these shoulds and these lets that John gives us throughout 1 John show us how to love and how to love well. We can just remind ourselves with all of these these commands that John gives us. Chapter 4, verse 7, John says, Beloved, let us love one another. Chapter 3, verse 11, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Chapter 3, verse 16, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Chapter 3, verse 18, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Chapter 4, verse 11, we also ought to love one another. When we hear again these commands, these imperatives, these exhortations, the application is laid bare before us as God's people. In our pursuit of love, to fulfill 1 Corinthians 14, pursue love, the Scriptures are calling us to certain and specific actions of love. And so we must say true biblical love begins within. There is this attachment, there is this endearment towards God and all that God loves. We desire God, we long for God, we treasure Him. And this attachment, this endearment, this love to God results in real action and movement It produces deeds and works, tangible expressions 
of love. And John's emphasis this morning throughout this book should not surprise us, for love is from God and God is love. And so when we think about love and its practice, we have to go back to God and see how God does love. So how have we come to know our God's love? Well, we have come to know our God's love through His concrete, through His specific actions. John, throughout the letter, parades before us God's actions, His concrete actions in love. And we see it plainly in the Gospel of Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 16. John says, By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us. Chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And John is weaving this beautiful thread of love through all of these texts. When God loves his people, his love takes tangible and concrete form. Jesus laid down his life for his people. The Father sent the Son. The Father has given the Son to be a propitiation for our sins. And we see God taking initiative and taking action and meeting the actual needs of his people. And we see that God is this great fountain of love, this fountain that cannot be contained, and this fountain bubbles over, and we see the spillage of God's love, and the spillage of God's love is evident in the cross of Jesus, in the giving of the Son. But what happens to us when we come into contact with this fountain of love? What happens when we have fellowship with this God? What happens when we abide in Him and this God abides in us? What happens when we're born of God and we are His children? Well, the answer is that we become like this God. As His beloved children, we are called to imitate and mirror our Heavenly Father. And as we abide in Him, our lives begin to take on this fountain-like shape. Our endearment to God, our attachment to Him, will begin to bubble over in all areas of our lives. In concrete actions, just like our Father's concrete actions will become evident in us as we love our brothers and sisters. So we can go back to Jonathan Edwards this morning and he can help us a little bit as we seek to apply this to our hearts. He says, If persons have true light from heaven into their souls, it is not a light without heat. Divine knowledge and divine love go together. True discoveries of divine character impose us to love God as the supreme good. They unite the heart in love to Christ. They incline the soul to flow out in love to God's people and to all mankind. So what is Edwards saying to us? How is he applying this to us? Well, he goes on and he says a bit more plainly this. If your heart is full of love, it will find vent. You will find or make ways enough to express your love in deeds. When a fountain abounds in water, it will send forth streams. What wise words from Edwards. When a fountain abounds in water, it will send forth streams. And if we're connected to the great fountain of love, the God who is love, Surely those waters which overflow from him will overflow from us as well and give full vent in our actions. 
So as God's people, as those who have fellowship with God and His Son, as those who have washed themselves clean in the blood of Christ, we have the calling to imitate our Father. And as God's love has spilled over in concrete and definite actions, as we've seen in the cross of Jesus, so too our love must take form in concrete action. We're not just called to think about love, we're not just called to divine love, but we're called to perform deeds of love. And John says, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And the love of God calls us this morning to be workers, to be practitioners of love. And John comes to us this morning and he says, you are well equipped. You have every tool for this task. Now go put God's grace into action. So John knows, if we have fellowship with the Father, if we have fellowship with the Son, that our hearts are inevitably going to bubble over with love. We will be action-oriented lovers. And if Edwards is right, when a fountain abounds in water, it will send forth streams. We have to ask, where are these streams going to go? And John, as a wise pastor and thinker, is thinking this through. Where is this love going to go? And he knows this flood of love is going to come from God's people if they're truly connected to God. So he works and he digs and channels to direct this flood of love. And the oughts and the shoulds and the lets direct our love this morning like a channel directing flooding waters. So where does John direct our love? Well, we have to look again at the oughts and the shoulds and the lets. Chapter 4, verse 7, John says, Beloved, let us love one another. 3 verse 11, we should love one another. Chapter 3 verse 16, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 4.11, we also ought to love one another. It's rather simple where John wants us to direct this love. Our work of love is to be aimed at one another, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. This is where love should flow appropriately. And when we, when we think about John's words this morning, when we ruminate on his oughts and his shoulds and his lets, we begin to notice something very interesting about how John works as a pastor and even as a theologian this morning. In all these commands and in all these imperatives, he never comes to these people and calls them to love God. Within 1 John, there's not a clear and demonstrable command or imperative saying, you need to love God or let us love God or we should love God. That's interesting. So why does John have this horizontal emphasis in his preaching? Well, I think John is underscoring a massive point for us in his commands. And the point is this. We cannot divorce the love of God from love to brother and sister. If you are loving God, if you are treasuring God above all else, if he is dear to you, then God's people are going to be near dear to you as well. I think what John is doing here is he's saying if vertical love is in place in your life, it's going to flow out in horizontal love. In fact, John leans heavy on these commands throughout the the letter to love one another. And he uses these commands to love one another as a test, to test us to see if we're actually loving God. So he's running these diagnostic tests throughout the book. He does this in chapter 4, verse 20. He says, If anyone says... I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. 
And he goes to chapter 5, verse 1, and he says, Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And John understands the nature of hypocrisy well. It's a rather easy thing to come along and say, I love God. It's an easy thing to get the Christian vocabulary down, but, but John comes to us as a good pastor and he, he pushes on us and he prods us here. He's not going to let us get away with just saying, I love God. With these commands, with these horizontal love commands, he wants to see what's really in our hearts. He wants to see where our true allegiances lie, to see if we really love God. And he does this by pointing to our actions. If we really love God, if we really know this God, if we really have fellowship with this God, we're going to be a people who love our brothers and sisters in Christ well. We can know our spiritual temper by looking at how we love our brothers and sisters. So as those who have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, as a people who love God, let us not just make verbal proclamations of our love to God, but also physical and demonstrable actions of love towards our neighbors and brothers and sisters. And every time we love our brothers and sisters, we're making a very sound profession of our love to God. And so John tells us, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So there's this thread of logic running throughout these oughts and these shoulds and these lets. John calls us first to be workers of love, and then he directs our work towards each other, towards brothers and sisters in Christ. And this should lead to the inevitable question, what does it mean for us as God's people to love one another, to love our brothers and sisters? And John answers this question as well. Look with me at chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. John begins to fill this out for us. John says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And John teaches us here that in order for us to understand how to love each other well, we have to turn our eyes, we have to cast our attention to the cross of Christ. And this is where and how we learn to love well. So we have to ask the question, how has Jesus Christ loved us so well? Well, Jesus has loved us so well as his people by taking the way of the cross. Jesus, the Holy One, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Jesus, the Righteous One, was pierced for our transgressions and was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus took up the role of the servant and washed dirty feet and cleansed defiled sinners. Jesus took the way of cost and he gladly gave away all that he had. Jesus despised the way of comfort and willingly took the path of pain and shame for his people. He considered not the path of wealth, but he became impoverished for us. And John works from Jesus to us. If Jesus' love is like this, then our love must take the same character. He calls us to be imitators. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. 
We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And John teaches us that the cross is not just the instrument by which Jesus saves us, but the cross is also the manner in which we are also to live as God's people. We are to love by the way of the cross, and our love is to be expressed in the shape and in the manner of the cross. Jesus teaches this throughout his ministry. Mark chapter 8, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? So the Lord Jesus comes to us and he he calls us to the way of the cross. He bids us to follow the same path he traveled, the path of sacrificial, costly love. We have to recognize this morning as God's people that Jesus does not call us to a cheap love, but he calls us to an expensive and costly love. Jesus' love for his Father and Jesus' love for his people consumed him. It drove Jesus to relinquish all of his rights. It drove him to endure all sorts of suffering. And it led him to lay down his life so that we might live. And Jesus calls us, take up your cross and follow after me. He calls us to this expensive and costly love. He calls us to sacrifice for the good of others. He calls us to give away our worldly goods. And John says, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. As the people of God, the the cross should be evident in our lives, this cross-shaped love, this cross-shaped way of living. So John calls us to love through these oughts and these shoulds and these lets. And we can ask one more question this morning. Why is John so repetitive? Couldn't he have just said ought one time? Couldn't he have just said should one time or twice? Why does he keep going on this? Why does he repeat himself so much? And John is so repetitive with us this morning because he knows his people well and he knows us well. He knows the age that we live in. He knows the boasts of this world. He writes about them in this letter, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eye and the pride of life. He knows all the temptations that surround us, the path of comfort, the path of ease, the path of sloth. He knows well our great adversary who tempts us and tries us and works to frustrate love within the people of God. And he knows how sin works in our hearts. He knows how prone we are to lay aside love for envy and strife and even anger. And so when John comes to us and he commands us again and again, He's calling us to a holy warfare. Every time he says ought, every time he says should, every time he says let's, John is calling us to battle against ourselves and sinful passions. He's calling us to battle against the world and all its temptations and boasts. He calls us to battle against our great adversary. And if we are to love our brothers and sisters well, we must then hate everything that stands in our way of this mandate of love. And we see this fulfilled in the life of our Lord Jesus. When you read the Gospels, when do you see Jesus' anger burn most brightly and purely and most holy? Well, his anger burns when others try to thwart his path of love. Remember the Lord Jesus, when he's tempted in the desert, he rebukes Satan. 
Remember Jesus when the, the Pharisees and the scribes and the authorities come to, to thwart him and he rebukes them. Remember the Apostle Peter as he stands in Jesus' way to the cross. So what does it look like for us to imitate Jesus in the warfare of love? Uh, we can go back to Jonathan Edwards this morning and he writes helpfully, he says, What a watch and guard should Christians keep against envy and malice and every kind of bitterness of spirit towards their neighbors. They should suppress the first beginnings of ill will and bitterness and envy and watch strictly against all occasions of such a spirit and fight to the utmost against a temper as tends that way and avoid as much as possible all temptations that may lead to it. And he goes on to say, A Christian should at all times keep a strong guard against anything that tends to overthrow or corrupt or undermine a spirit of love. So what Edwards is calling us to is what we see in the ministry of the Lord Jesus is that as God's people, we must be jealous to keep love. If we're serious about pursuing love and practicing love, we must be serious about putting to death sin within our lives and rooting it out. We must be constantly going to our hearts and and tilling them up to make sure weeds and roots of bitterness and discord do not grow up within us. We must search ourselves and try our motivations to see when we dig down to the bottom if there is this root of love. We must stand steadfast against every temptation so that we may pursue what Paul calls us to, pursue love. So what should we do this morning? As God's people, how should we proceed? Well, may we as God's people pursue love. And may this, may this, this morning as we hear these oughts and these shoulds and these lets, hear these commands and these exhortations as God's portion of grace to us. Because these, these commands are full of grace. And these commands are God doing his work of love in our hearts. Our God knows that we're often a people who lose focus. There are so many distractions in this world. And these commands, these oughts and these shoulds and these lets point us back to the most basic and fundamental matter for our lives. We must love one another. And our God knows that we're often discouraged. He calls us to the way of the cross. And the way of the cross is hard and it's difficult. It's not for the faint of heart. And our God comes in these commands and he gives us encouragement. Continue in the way of love. Continue picking up your cross and following. And our God knows that we often sin. That we don't fulfill these commands perfectly and fully. And these commands are full of grace. They come to us and they call us to repentance. And they call us to renewed zeal, to pursue love. And our God knows the temptations we face every day. He knows our desires for comfort and leisure. And through these commands, he calls us again to battle to this holy warfare and this great cause of love. And our God knows what's going to bring us true satisfaction. He knows what's going to bring us true joy. And it's this way of love. It's this way of pursuing love and laying our lives down for the brothers. So let's as God's people pursue love. Let's pray.
Oh, Father, we worship you this morning. You have shown your perfect love towards us in Christ Jesus, and your Spirit abides in us. And we pray this morning that you would give us grace to fulfill these oughts and these shoulds and these lets, that we would, as your people, take up the cross and follow after Jesus, that we would love each other well, and that our love would be evident to the watching world. You have given us the the greatest apologetic device ever when we love our brothers and sisters well. So, Father, would you help us this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.